This is Live Booleans, where Costa and Alex chat about, well, game dev things. Video games, dev culture, tech, game design, events, and all the other stuff they love to nerd out on. So thanks for tuning in. Hey guys, just a quick note before we start. Thank you again for your continued support. We haven't put an episode out for a couple of weeks, but this one's a great one. We have more lined up and more stuff coming to Live Boolean, so stay tuned. We have different things as well, an event uh, we're planning. We've also got some great, a great revamp to the look and feel of Live Booleans. So please stay tuned for that and uh, enjoy this episode. Thank you. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good whatever time you're listening to this. Uh, welcome to Live Booleans, episode 11. Um, I'm joined always by my partner and broadcast, Costa. Hello, hello. Uh, today, we're talking to Jeremy and Tom from We Made a Thing, or We Met, as the post-it on your door <laughs> used to say. Um, yeah. We Met, so We Made a Thing, have made probably more than a thing. Um, they've created and produced this real funny comedy um, called Lucy and Dick, um, currently on YouTube. Uh, currently working on a 2D animated Flash-style dungeon crawler called Box Knight, which won uh, an SAFC Games Innovation grant. Um, and they've just worked, wrapped up working on probably got to be one of the country's first virtual productions called Coffee and Quasars, which we can't wait to get into. So, boys, welcome. Nice. Thanks for having us. Yeah, cheers for having us, man. Thank you for being here. Um, first thing I really want to get into is, like, you know, with all that stuff you guys have done, um, you guys have a awesome work dynamic, you know, um, like from watching you guys for a few years um, and the speed in which you pump content out, it's like not an easy thing for any team to achieve. So I'm real curious, like, you know, first, what are your backgrounds? And then how did you guys start working together? You go first, Jeremy. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. In terms of uh, pumping out content, the uh, the one thing Tom and I always talk about is complementary skill sets and uh, coming things from uh, two very, very different angles and I think trying to make up for one another's uh, technical and creative deficiencies. Um, but uh, yeah, so my background was um, originally in sort of high-end visual effects. So um, I was very lucky to get quite an early start in my career um was worked as a, an animator and a compositor like on the harry potter films worked on uh some of the marvel movies you know great gatsby bit of the alien franchise um a whole slew of things and did that for the better part of a decade um and then um but always would bail on these big productions sort of you know after doing a year here or six months there to do a smaller production so i'd always find my way back to do a, you know, like a Wastelander Panda or work on Danger 5 or go out and make a short film with some friends. And um, my heart was sort of in the, more in the indie space. And um, so I think, you know, a few years ago when both Tom and I were feeling uh, that a little bit creatively understimulated and also that our skill sets were finally sort of intersecting with our ideas, that it was, you know, the time to kind of pull the trigger and uh, strike out on our own and try and put together a production company because we could finally do the things that we said we could do. Yeah, right. How long ago was that 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 started? 
Um, I would say the the early sort of stages of we met, like we Tom and I had been bouncing ideas back and forth once again for the better part of a decade. Um, but probably about three years ago, I think was when the the cog started turning on. Oh, we could do this. We could do that. We were awarded um, some SAFC grant money for a uh, short film called The Way. Uh, we I had made the jump out of. Um, uh, high-end visual effects and had started working for the sort of uh, UniSA courses teaching so that bought me some time and we were producing some short films out of that um, Lucy and Dick kind of came out of that so yeah probably about three years ago yeah right and uh, how about yourself Tom um, yeah mine's mine's a bit of a different one like I I came from a bit I don't want to say corporate but I did I did marketing at, at uni and I did a major in film and tv and I think that I ended up, I was fortunate to sort of work in marketing and sort of business strategy, like in and out of uni. Um, and that was always sort of a bit of a compromise. Like I always wanted to be a writer first and foremost. Um, film and TV scratched that itch, but uh, the business strategy, I worked for a really sort of well-known business consultant, worked on some pretty big brands um, for a couple of years, but found myself uh, not being too creative and looking at too many spreadsheets and P&Ls and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I was like, stuff it, I'll work for a year and um, essentially fund my own short film. Um, that's actually where I met Jeremy the first time. Um, he was sort of like in much longer hair back then, um, <laughs> sort of big surfy hair. And I actually, we went to him to get VFX done on a short film um, and I ended up casting him. Uh, as well um but that sort of started our i guess creative journey together um but we had a blast on on that but um i then went back into the marketing and sort of video and advertising space and worked there for a couple of years um but i think it was 2014 i was fortunate to option uh my first script um and for a handful of years, uh, I was writing on contract for feature films um, for a handful of different production companies, um, which was really good and like kind of unheard of, fairly lucky to be based in Adelaide and get literally uh, get paid to write. Um, and that was a wonderful couple of years where I, I think I got to hone the craft a bit, um, but also get good at working, collaborating with, I guess, bigger stakeholders and stuff like that. But Uh, After a few of those years, a lot of nearly starts with those films, like none of them actually ended up getting made. I mean, I know some of them still might, but uh, Jeremy spoke about that creative itch and, um, yeah, so we were sort of talking and I think that's when he called me up one time and just basically goes, do you want to go to China next week and and do a film? Um, so we ended up going to China and shooting a film and, um, I'll, I'll probably, if that's the story you want to go into, I'm sure Jeremy that <laughs> that's a, justice. that, that story is a whole podcast unto itself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we did that and, and, and sh- long story short, we shot a film in a different language. Um, and we were really proud of it. And it was just like, well, if it was, if we're proud of that, and we did it in 48 hours in crazy circumstances in China, in like the middle of nowhere in China too. Um, we should probably just do it when we go back to Adelaide. Um, and that's that's one of the things that sort of kicked it off and the way the way came about um, because of that. Um, and, yeah, that sort of kicked off WeMat officially, I think in about 2017 was when that started 
uh, rolling forward. So that's the uh, a, a condensed version of it. So yeah, coming from a, a more writing um, and, and then fell into producing. Um, so I produced a lot of TV commercials and um, uh, ended up looking at spreadsheets again. Um, so yeah, it came full circle. So that's good. Cool. Can't, can't escape Excel. Um, yeah, you can't. <laughs> so, I mean, you can tell, I mean, I guess, so the two of you have the, you know, is we Matt, because, you know, you've got these awesome stories and these awesome projects, but then they're also very well, um, not like, I don't want to say marketed and make it sound like, you know, it's getting marketed, but like, they're very polished and like, you know, who your audience is and, and stuff like that. So that's like a playing to your strengths kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's one of those things. And like, I think both of us have those, we have those projects that didn't get there as well. Um, so there's for the ones that are going, there's a handful of the ones that didn't get there. And they're the ones that if you talk about that polish and probably that lack of clarity, like there's, there's a heap of those lying in sort of the basket as well. Um, but I think, you know, that, that it, it basically goes back to the whole reason we're even called We Matter thing, which is like this basically ongoing joke that we said, the more stuff we make, the luckier we seem to get. Um, And so like, even if it's an idea that isn't fully formulated, they don't always work. Uh, There's no reason you won't potentially come back to it. So uh, that sort of instilled that philosophy in us quite early. And it's just like, we don't want to talk about a short film for three years and not make it. Like Mm. if if that's the case, you shouldn't be making it. Um, So I, I think that, that sort of drive and that force to like, and we started with the mentality of um, uh, just kind of go out and do it and, you know, ask for forgiveness. Um, But I think now that we're getting into bigger sort of things, we can't really roll that out as much. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole whole series of words that Tom has asked me to remove from my um, vocabulary. So I'm not allowed to use the word boots, bootstrapped, <laughs> scrappy, jerry-rigged. Uh, where 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 it's it, a whole series of um, uh, I suppose mentalities that we now need to sort of get ourselves out of, and they they've been wonderful in the past of letting us punch above our weight division, doing productions that do appear bigger and uh, more epic or expensive than they really were. Um, but uh, yeah, there's now I suppose we're in a, we're in a growing period where we need to no longer bootstrap everything we do and actually properly support it and uh, um, particularly as we start to collaborate with larger organizations as well so yeah it it, it was interesting because to go through that transition of uh, being a bunch of scrappy underdogs and now having to um, yeah become a a properly functioning company Mm. so and how's that how's that been um, to have all your projects always had some level of uh 3d animation or you know that sort of stuff or was it sort of what you had at the time and then now the production value has gone up as you guys have grown i think um i mean tom and i both have quite high concept sensibilities like we love uh, sci-fi fantasy westerns horrors um we we do love the strange and the weird and i suppose with um you know tom's very very strong understanding of uh genre storytelling and then my visual effects background there is always a bit of a pathway to do that and um so i think 
particularly early on, it was a great way to um, get attention because we knew that we could execute to a high degree of polish um, uh, because we knew where from the larger productions that we all worked and we knew where the waste happened. So we were very, very good at giving the sort of best, most epic version of something that we could possibly afford for half the budget that people thought we spent on it. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of our stuff has always been quite high concept. I think we actually are drifting a little bit away from that now in terms of it not being the core gimmick of what we do. Um, there's now a few, um, more traditional dramas in the pipeline as well. Like sort of just telling some more sort of straight up and down simple stories that don't need spaceships and explosions and things, mm-hmm. but I think that'll always be. They're good too. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it, they're always yeah, a, yeah. a, like a big part I- of what excites us. I think the thing with the high concept sort of mentality that we even started with, which was like, as long as it wasn't a gimmick and if, if like, I think the one thing that we can sort of sit back and all the things that we've sort of done, it, it does always have a little bit of heart to it. And so it might be a high concept idea, but it always has a bit of a base in reality. So Lucy and Dick, yeah, it's got a floating talking robot, but really it's about two friends sitting on a couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the way was this sort of big sort of telekinetic um, sort of crazy uh, X-Men kind of uh, road trip movie. But really at its core, it's about a road trip and coming of age story. Like, and, and just trying to, trying to instill, and Box Night is too. It's really just a bit of a, a, like a look at workplace culture and Friday night drinks. Like, and uh, I think like, when we sort of put the lens to that, like it does start to filter out those ideas, which we, we kind of tap into, which that's a bit gimmicky. Like there's no, there's no sort of latch in reality for the audience on that. Um, and yeah, like Jeremy said, I mean, there's a couple of things on the slate that are, are probably a little bit more traditional, but I, I would still consider some of them high concept, like, it might not have spaceships, but it's dealing with a different world or something that the audience isn't aware of. Um, that Judd mm, Apatow yeah. sort yeah. of high concept mentality. So, yeah. Gives you that room to like put your your own stamp on, you know, a traditional story or something like that. Exactly. Well, it's like, it's, it's finding a funny, weird spin on it. And yeah. hopefully we're never sort of retreading. Like it's tough to be original. As, as I'm sure everyone in this sort of call is aware of. like, yeah. But really all you can do is try and go, well, like you're always going to take in your influences. Yeah. Um, but how, how do you then, and like from the writing perspective, it sounds cliche, but it's the thing they always say, like try and find your voice. And I think the mm. older we've got, I think we've sort of honed in on that a little bit more. And I think we're a bit more confident with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's good how you say about with the, everything has the heart, like just little things. Like I remember with Lucy and Dick, the stickers and hearing the story with that of like, you know, this is a robot that's been around Lucy for a while. So she's put these stickers on her from time to time and taking them off. And Oh yeah. 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 So like, um, yeah, when we were first designing the character, um, I was talking to the texture artists and I said, I want, I want Dick to feel like that, uh, you know, you've gone back to your parents' house and you've dug through your old books and you've found your diary from like year seven and it's got all the scribbles on it, all the little stickers attached to it and it's worn, it's battered 
And um, so, yeah, how do we how do we in an instant communicate the idea that Lucy's probably had Dick since she was a, a very, very uh, sort of young girl and that he's been there through like multiple stages of her life. So every other we, we, we sort of joked about, you know, in a world of uh, iPhones, he's a Nokia 3315, <laughs> you know, um, outdated and- but reliable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He just keeps on trucking. Like he probably hasn't had a firmware update in like 15 years and they probably <laughs> don't make them for his model anymore. So yeah, and so that was, we wanted that to read very visually and very clearly right from the get-go. Um, and I think it works. Like um, people definitely sort of spot it out, uh, spot it. And it also juxtaposes nicely with his sort of, you know, fairly abrasive personality um, in that he is rude. He is sort of, uh pretty bawdy but like he's covered in all these beautiful pink stickers and smiley faces and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's it's it seems to work i don't know quite what it is but you put all those elements together throw an aussie man's voice and it all just sort of gels quite nicely and and it's it's within um we met it's the two of you sort of as the core team and then you guys work with other teams or is it um is there like different configurations with every project or uh, it's Tom and I sort of at the centre of a uh, majority of the things that we do. And then we do have sort of some consistent key collaborators. Like mm-hmm. we work with um, Aaron Chupan, the sort of uh, our cinematographer. He comes and shoots everything that we do just because they're such a shorthand and we trust him immensely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an editor that we're working with quite a lot, Crystal. Um, and then we we generally tend to crew our sort of onset crews with the same people we've sort of built a bit of an ad hoc family mm-hmm. of sorts and mm-hmm. uh, everyone gets along uh, famously so we're really really lucky to have that sort of support network around us what's the sort of like now this i was just going to add to that the only thing uh this year that's been a bit more interesting is we've tried to open up um as much as you know it's cool that we're the ones i guess driving creative on a lot of them um like you only have a certain amount of, I guess, creative, I guess, capacity in a year. Um, Mm -hmm. And so one thing is like now that the, I I guess the infrastructure is down a little bit, is like how do we enable others? So this has been a bit of a opening up here and trying to collaborate and enable others to do some stuff within, I guess, our wheelhouse, if that makes sense. Yeah, so we've produced produced three short films recently with different directors um so we had uh leela vargis on the most recent one the normals um and she did a fantastic job on that we had um chan griffin uh direct an action film for us uh last year which had um uh he's was one of the sort of uh high up stunt uh people for mortal Kombat and has worked in some other really really big productions and this was his first time directing and then uh, aaron our cinematographer shot another short for us as well uh, directed another short for us as well um, called uh, uh, Spellbound. So, yeah, it was we produced three shorts where we weren't kind of front and centre, um, which is good. These, like, all these names and titles that you have, like, is this is this something that accumulates from having worked together for quite a while or are, they, are these new people you're meeting just all of a sudden? It's, um, yeah, I suppose these are networks that sort of have grown slowly. Like we sort of become aware of other people who are doing interesting things or people who have um, uh, desires to step into a space like Chan Griffin, for instance. Like um, he straight up told us that he was interested in directing one day and we had a short film that was coming up and we said, do you want to take a crack now? There's the opportunity. 
Um, so, I mean, I think we're always trying to put our feelers out a little bit as to um, who's making things, who's keen. Also, people who come with a unique and interesting skill set that we might not have encountered before who can bring a whole new dynamic to things. Um, so, yeah, we're certainly always on the lookout for collaborations um, in sort of hopefully some sort of strange and interesting places that people wouldn't normally anticipate. Yeah. And the great thing is you're always making the original content. Like you haven't got stuck in like where a lot of studios are getting stuck in, like jumping from contract to contract. I think um, that's, that's, that's definitely, well, it was part of it. It was part of the goal to start with was we want to focus on our own IP. Um, and because I think both of both of Jeremy and I had done, I, I guess, a couple of tough years, um, but good years on on other other people's things. Um, but I, I do think now we're looking at like the virtual production stuff in particular has been a really interesting one because because it's kind of a bit of a hot topic. It has opened up a few more commercial discussions that. You know, they're, they're definitely things that we're we're very open to because I think it not only and, and unfortunately that'll probably lead to commercial and I guess more contract work, but if it's sort of if it's adding to our capacity to create more um, and you know allow us to I, I guess test a pipeline that we hadn't before and um, yeah find new ways to tell stories. Um, like it, it's sort of ticking those boxes. So it's definitely something that's opened up in, and 2020 was a weird year. Um, so I think that's something we've, we've definitely opened uh, our sort of uh, eyes to. Um, and there's a good couple of, hopefully some good things to come out of that in the future. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, and I guess with that as well is, was um, uh, Box Night, is that your first foray into video games? Moving from film over to video games? Uh, not technically. Our, not no. technically. Our, our, our second one. So we did, uh, we're putting a little bit of development time into uh, the uh, Box Night, not Box Night, sorry, the, the Lucian Dick augmented reality app. So we had the um, uh, Dick asset and all those animation cycles and all this voice. And so we did create a, uh, an AR app where Dick could float around the room and swear at you and you'd poke him and he'd get annoyed and all that kind of thing. Basically take um, selfies with Dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, take take your dick pics. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, but Box Night came about because we were actually looking for an avenue to create um, some 2D animation. So uh, it was something that both of us have always been quite interested in. And um, when we were doing Lucy and Dick, um, our visual effects team started... Uh, every, you know, we had Friday night beers. We'd always try and make it a big sort of cultural thing with everyone. And the VFX artists started crafting um, night helmets out of all the beer cartons sort of coming in. And uh, one of them had sort of taped two sort of drinking cups to either side of it and had this night's helmet on. And I think Tom popped his head and was like, what are you doing? And he turned around and just went, I am the box night. <laughs> and conti- continued on drinking and uh but uh tom sort of went oh there's something in that jeremy can you draw me some box nights um so i got to noodling away and was like all right well let's find a weird style we'll go a little bit south parkish let's find something that's easy to turn around and very asset based and that we might be able to do some 2d animations with um and so the sort of discussions about sort of Friday, uh, you know, like work culture, um, Friday night beers, 
all that kind of stuff came into it. We were like, okay, so Box Nights are the defenders of good workplace culture and the the distributor of Friday night beers for everyone. They're the bringers of joy in the party for all the workmates. Uh, and then like people are trying to shut it down. And um, they're always sort of like campaigning to, you know, a bit of a Dilbert kind of environment, um, bit of the office, uh, office space and all that kind of thing. And then somewhere along the line, I think I drew a goblin with his willy out um, and sort of went, Tom, there's uh, goblins in box night now. Um, and it was because just this little shriveled penis made me laugh so hard. Um, and so suddenly box night went from being an animation about just workplace culture to an animation about fantasy extrapolations of shitty workmates. Um, so not only was the box night fighting to defend, uh, Friday night beers, but was also vanquishing essentially workplace depression and all your terrible coworkers. So, um, all these fantasy creatures became, you know, the drone goblins who never want you to rise above your station, the bog <laughs> goblins who quite literally bring their shit from home and make it your problem. Uh, the sycophants, the supervisors, the hot messes, the, all these different weird, goblin-esque creatures and characters and monsters just started springing up from all of these kind of like archetypes that everyone has met and uh you could get some catharsis from beating the absolute shit out of or seeing beat the absolute shit out of in uh in, in a game and so we had all the foundations for uh, this sort of weird office space fantasy world and then um, we started talking to a, a, a development team who actually, you know, their office was uh, right next door to ours um, and, uh, and Melonheads uh, called On Tilt. And I think on one of those Friday night drinks, I had gotten well and truly plastered and ended up in a very, very tipsy conversation with one of the guys from On Tilt described to him box night. And then I we were talking about how we loved um, the old school, old school isometric brawlers like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and and um, Double Dragon and all that kind of stuff, Streets of Rage. And uh, he was like, "Oh yeah, we can do that." Like, oh, what really? And so I think took the idea to Tom, and we bounced back and forth a bit. And next thing we knew, we were delivering assets to the on tilt guys so they could put it into a little side scrolling brawler. Um, and we had a prototype up and running quite quickly um did a round of uh development on that and then uh from there ended up sending that off to the sa film core um games grant thing with a whole bunch of art functioning prototype look at all the workplace relations and the fantasy creatures and all that kind of stuff and i think they there was enough there that made them laugh that they decided to go with it and that allowed us to do that first round of development and get that alpha up and running yeah that's so it's a real twisting, winding, weird series of events. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You just and you also you echoed a sentiment that um, V Pendergrass says as well, which is you get more done with a drink in your hand than <laughs> anywhere else. So any, anyone listening, get out there, find a network, just tell everyone who you are. I think that that is like the the whole setting of a workplace is it's such a great setting because you've got, you know, when you think of it from a game perspective, you're like, yeah, you've got your supervisor who are, you know, the mini bosses, then you've got your, your boss who's the big boss. And he's like, you know, you pit yourself against them and it's basically a hero versus enemies. Sort the, of structure, the structure's there. <laughs> the structure's there. Like, yeah, you don't exactly need to right. delve too deeply into yeah. it. Like. And, you're, exactly. and you're fighting your way up the office tower, trying yep. to eventually <laughs> fight the CEO, you know? Yeah, so, yeah exactly so. right. Yeah. 
and you can tell from the characters it's like you don't even it's like real world you don't even need to know the motive of why they're bad you're just like i know these are bad like they are my enemy <laughs> so, so what's it what's it also been like to to go from working with a team like more in film to now working with like game developers and what's that sort of process been like it's really interesting. Film's quite sequential. You know, you sort of do you 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 uh, do your pre-production, you shoot the film, you edit the film, you then go into post-production, you do the visual effects, you move it over to sound. There's sort of one one thing after the other. Um, you do one thing, then square it away, then move on to the next. Um, game production uh, has been interesting for us because it is less so squaring away any one particular thing and then moving on to the next phase of it, as opposed to juggling all aspects of it kind of at the same time and tweaking and shifting and molding it to make sure it's all sort of balanced and working. And so it's, it's a lot less of a, a linear process than what we're used to. Absolutely. And how is that um, sort of going into now you guys have just wrapped up coffee and quasars. How has that experience um, translated into now using, you know, virtual production and obviously game engines involved in that and that sort of stuff. Well, I think that was that was a really interesting one because I think it was about almost two years ago now. We saw um, this is before Mandalorian. We saw a, a little mini documentary called "We Killed the Green Screen," and it was a, it was basically a similar version of of the I guess the Mandalorian pipeline, um, just a little bit earlier on in the process. And I, I remember like that getting sent around our offices probably around the time we were doing Lucy and Dick and us freaking out about it and going, there's, there's definitely something in this and we, we've got to keep tabs on it. Um, and then Unreal as a, a film production tool definitely started to take rise. And I, I think it's something that we were fortunate to have. I mean, Tony Reid from Epic Games literally popped his head into our office at um, Game Plus one day and just said, you know, he liked Lucy and Dick, you know, would we ever have considered sort of looking at Unreal as a, a sort of viable sort of post pipeline for that project? And we'd, we'd sort of started looking into it. Like the first iteration of the Lucy and Dick AR app was built in Unreal. Um, and so we already got the asset um, into that space and it was working beautifully um and uh 2020 once again was an interesting one that like all production shut down so it allowed us to focus on a bit of r&d and going how can we actually implement it into that pipe and jeremy did like some really really long weeks we started with lucy and dick so it was like can we do two little mini episodes of lucy and dick completely run out of unreal so taking uh more old school VFX pipeline out and just using Unreal as the, um, the main sort of loader for it. And uh, yeah, th that, that's what kicked it off. And I think Jeremy can talk to that a little bit. <laughs> well, I was, cause I know, I know it's positive and miserable. I know there was a lot of, there was a lot of pain. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was more so that we, we fired up a program and rather than, uh, doing sort of Unreal 101 and really getting to grips with the, the the basics of everything, we jumped straight into figuring out the pipeline for such a niche use of a program that was only just starting to find its feet in that area as well. So like nothing was documented 
Um, very little was laid out in what we were asking it to do. And it was sort of a, a, a real kind of um, knock your head against it until it starts to work sort of affair. So, um, and we got, we got there in the end. We were also trying to um, get what was essentially a, a film asset, which is a lot more dense into a, a game engine and get that functioning. So all kinds of uh, shenanigans and um, uh, what's what I'm looking for, like experimental add-ons and all these bits and pieces was- had to be found to get it all to work nice and neat. And I think a lot of those things that were causing us headaches have sort of been formalised in more recent editions. But um, yeah, it was it was certainly probably the steepest learning curve I've had to encounter in, in quite some years. And so, um, but the results were fantastic. So once we went through that uh, horrible period of learning, um, and it wasn't even that horrible in the sense that, uh, again, like Unreal has so many learning resources. It's incredible. And again, we were just digging into a field that just, you know, is a little bit fresh. Um, the results were fantastic. So we did those um, a few loosening dick couch times with Unreal Engine and our audience, when we released them, no one pegged at all that we switched it over to a game engine. No one questioned the quality um it all sort of composited in just fine um you know it still has its idiosyncrasies but we were really really quite taken aback at the um once it was all set up the speed at which we were able to work and roll things through so yeah certainly wasn't easy to get there but the results were pretty satisfying once we did so what do you that that was that step into coffee and quasars though that was always the first little like we knew we wanted to i guess it's not even dipping the toe really when you're jumping in that heavy in doing sort of live action and uh yeah a completely computer generated character um but it was it was all moving towards the mandalorian stuff that we'd been seeing and Mm -hmm. i think what that opened and what we saw that potentially opened up in the filmmaking space because i think one thing that we know uh we we do need to do a lot with a little to stand out um and and we really saw that as a tool as a way to do it um but it's always like how do we prove that concept like bit by bit and so Lucy and Dick was a really good first win but then Coffee and Quasars was like kind of once again throw yourself into another deep end and go how how does it work in a I guess a production um capacity Um, it was it was also a two-pronged thing because we were training ourselves on the Lucy and Dick stuff we were really starting to prepare for some virtual production things like I was using projectors and vive trackers at home to replicate cameras and was attempting all that stuff and then we were also super vocal in our interest about it to people working in government positions to people working in the private sector people working for the universities like we spoke about this to anyone and everyone who would listen who was sort of relevant to that field so when um uh organizations like flinders university and 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 novatech started talking with one another um, and we had gone to chat to Novatech. We'd spoken to sort of the people who were running the Flinders facility. And when all those pieces did start to come together and they were building the, 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 the void studio, um, they got in touch with us really quickly because we had been so noisy about it up until that point. So we certainly weren't shy in expressing our interest and in wanting to jump into the virtual production space. We uh, made sure that we were sort of at the forefront of everyone's minds when that opportunity did roll around. I remember, yeah, you and I had a late night conversation at Game Plus. We were talking about the projectors and you're like, the the thing you couldn't figure out was the latency. 
He's like, yeah. how would I do that? And I'm like, uh, fiber optic cable. And then you're like, you write that down. I'm like, don't write that down. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, no, no. I, I ran off, got my notepad. I'm like, I want you to tell me everything that you just said. Again, yeah. I'm going to make notes as to how I might be able to build this for myself. Um, and I did. Like, I actually took a bunch of the things that we talked about um, and took it home. I borrowed a friend's very powerful projector, um, shot my own tests at home um, and yeah, actually got that sort of successfully working. And then we sent that around to a bunch of people um, and it looks, you know, nothing compared to uh, what we did out at the void stage. But I think we were just, you know, I don't know how else to describe it other than like just banging every pot and pan we could. So, you know, no one could ignore us when they were putting it together that facility together so it's almost like you guys uh, reverse engineered the process of it just by seeing you know i mean that's the thing there's no manual on this right like we were speaking about it before so was it very much just reverse engineering it like seeing how the sort of process might work and then figuring it out as you go along there was a lot of that yeah sort of like trying to figure out what our homebrew version of that would look like before anyone sort of had these sort of led studios up and running on a on, a, on an accessible scale so yeah we were definitely trying to recreate what we were seeing on that you know again on that mandalorian scale um with anything and everything we could get our hands on and yeah it, it worked quite well to our, uh, I suppose, our favor yeah what have you seen of the big sort of uh benefits i know you you sort of mentioned that COVID was the, let's say, the catalyst for you guys to start, you know, experimenting in it. But what have you guys seen as the real big benefit? Is it is it cheaper? Is it um, just better at streamlining your process? What's the real, real big, uh, yeah, benefit? Uh, I mean, actually, no, no, Tom, I'll let you take this one. So. No, no, you go first and I'll, I'll follow. Oh, sure. I was going to say, it suddenly gives the small to mid-scale production access to a scope that, that we'd never have access to normally so we'll use coffee and quasars as an example um i mean tom and i uh, love sci-fi with the amount of times we've written something we've gone but it's in space um but we can't do it because again of uh, sets costumes uh, visual effects budgets um all those sort of practical barriers that immediately leap up the moment you want to engage in doing a sci-fi um, but all of a sudden using the sort of uh, virtual production, unreal virtual sets um, and LED walls that we could um, take care of a huge amount of those barriers really quickly. Like there's certainly things that you can't do, like you can't stage massive action scenes or you can't, um, you know, whip the camera around like crazy. But what we could do is do a very nice, steady um still shoot on a bridge where we put all of our focus into sort of cinematic composition and making things look big and grand and um yeah so to, to we turned around coffee and quasars in three days we knew that we had to go out and shoot a tech demo in pretty much on the way there we were like no we shouldn't do a demo we should shoot a short um while we were doing our tech rehearsal tom smashed out the script of a sort of you know set up payoff gag three characters we phoned up the actors that afternoon. They rocked up midday the next day. While we were testing the set, we were looking at the set going, this looks like absolute shit. This is real PlayStation 2 cutscene garbage <laughs> right now. Um, and so I went home that night and deleted our entire environment and started again. I went, all right, I need better assets, better environments. Went onto the Unreal store, found the stuff that I was after and completely reassembled our environment to better suit that L-shaped LED wall space. And so we rocked up the next morning with a completely different set. 
Um, actors turned up by midday. We play tested it enough, picked our angles. And um, by sort of the following, so we started on Monday morning and by Wednesday afternoon, we had a short, completely shot um, with uh, all our environment done digitally. And if we were shooting that practically, we would have spent weeks building that set. We would have spent weeks blue screening out through that window. Our post-production would have been through the roof, whereas everything was just in camera. Um, and uh, again, there are things that it can't do that you sort of it's you work with that and it's it's a tool not a silver bullet so um yeah we just tried to play to its strengths as much as possible yeah well i think that was the that was the big thing that when you're going into it we were going to have a leaner version we weren't going to have the mandalorian sort of set unfortunately so we knew we were immediately going to be sort of um limited with what we had access to but I mean, leaning into that idea of it, it isn't a silver bullet and what are the things it's really good at. Um, and, like, we knew straight off the bat, like, from a producer's perspective, you kind of look at a tool like that and you go, it needs to do one of two things. It either needs to save me money or it needs to look a hell of a lot better. Um, and mainly it's the first one from a producer's perspective. Um, so you kind of want to go, all right, how, but if you look at it as a tool, how can you get it into the process and not like, you're not killing, like you, if you can get on location and it works, you should still get on location. But what it does open up is those sort of middle tier sort of shooting opportunities. So a lot of sim travel, like it, everyone notices bad green screen when a car's moving. Um, and that is, I think it's, it could like bread and butter. It, it should be doing that consistently, whether it's a commercial, a short film, you don't need to, from producer's perspective, you're not putting like your actors in a, in a car on a low loader with the driver. And yeah, so you are saving money with that. Um, in terms of efficiency, like you can move through, small sections of scripts that might take up like a quarter of the page, an eighth of a page and go, look, we, we're really specific about our shots. So we've got one angle. We're going to do that um, in and out and you just bang it through in a soundstage day. Um, that, that then, like if you can save yourself a couple of days on the shoot, you're saving yourself thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, but the mindset, like I sort of said earlier, it does shift because you do bring a bit of post into pre. Mm. Um, so if you can, like, we were just fortunate. I mean, we have that, that skill in house, so we could do that, but other productions, like all of a sudden, like they're having to go, we've got to outlay a bit of resource and cash early to even get it ready to go. Um, and yeah. And at the moment it hasn't been done enough. A lot of people are sort of like, it's a bit of a leap of faith. Um, and that's why we were so adamant rather than just doing a tech test, like, to run it through an actual production and go, well, the pros and cons of it. Um, but yeah, like it, if you can, when we got moving, we moved incredibly efficiently. Um, and uh, it gives you like a sense of creativity that um, like you can just come up with new setups and that can be ready to go in an instant because you just move the camera around digitally. Like you move your, your lights around your prac lights around a touch, but realistically you're not having to bump out in and out of a location. Um, and so, yeah, you save yourself a lot of time. Um, 
but it was it was just heaps of fun uh, once we got into this swing of things. Um, also, the, the speed at which I mean, like we would find those new angles, but then we'd Tom would go like, "Oh, this wall's looking a bit blank, or this is a bit bare." I'm like, "Hey, no, bear with me. Give me give me two minutes," and I just start <laughs> like copying and pasting yeah. big chunks of set design from one wall to another, and sticking pipes and beepy things and computer panels, and just fill out the scene. In a, in a few minutes whereas again if we're on set and shooting that practically it'd be like all right everyone go for lunch production design's going to be at this for like two three hours yeah. uh if we want to make this wall work or we scrap the shot entirely so we're able to yeah just it, it, like it, once again it doesn't it doesn't do everything it doesn't solve all your problems but we could actually move on shooting angles and finding setups that we if we're on a practical set and that wall wasn't dressed correctly we just have to abandon it so yeah it a lot it gave us a lot of flexibility within those parameters and the speed that you can as you said put a pipe in or something that's like unique to the the game development pipeline mm. really mm. um because like your, your your renderers and stuff like key shot which is for film you know that still has to do all those calculations and it gets grainy but you know a game engine or renderer like mama set where it's a game engine on the inside it's just rendering on mm. the fly so it's like been waiting for this moment like the technology's finally here yeah 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 absolutely and the thing is like you know the led screens and the led walls they still have some idiosyncrasies like you can't move the camera too close to them the image starts to fall apart you can't actually focus on the walls. Everything needs to be sort of shallow depth of field. Your focus always needs to stay on the actors because the moment you shift your focus to those LED walls, all those tiny little LED dots start to sort of pull apart and you get these rainbow moire effects. Mm. Um, so, and again, that's all fine. You just work with that. But uh, um, yeah, the, the speed that a game engine provides you and also once again, the fact that it's all in camera, it's casting light, you're getting that kind of organic, real, optically correct composite rather than having to green screen it in. It's great. I love it. <laughs> so with, yeah. So with uh, Unreal Engine 5 on the horizon and whatever that brings with it, is, uh, is Wiimat going to be returning to the virtual space soon? I think quite I think, soon. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's safe to say like we're, I, I don't even want to say converse. Like we've sort of been in it for, I guess, the about 18 months now, pretty solidly. Um, even further back, if you consider that first uh, Lucy and Dick augmented reality sort of experience. But, um, yeah, I, I think the benefits and the opportunity, and like you said, I mean, it, it just keeps updating. Um, and stuff that Jeremy was, like, bumping his head against a brick wall a couple of months ago is now sort of fixed. And I think that's the wonderful thing about Unreal and Epic. I think they've seen they've seen the the benefit um, and the opportunity there and they seem to be uh, getting around it. But the other thing is the community. Like, I mean, the, a lot of it is community-driven, like, solutions. Um, and, like, I remember being on that Unreal production sort of Facebook group earlier in the year and there was maybe one post every couple of days and now it's just flooded and you get about what like 15 posts a day like there's a and like the interest is there and um you know once you get that sort of 
scale of of people getting around it, I think we're going to see some pretty special things happen. There's also a lot of generosity of information in that community as well. People are so sharing and um, uh, quick to uh, share one another's experiences. Like, really, no one seems to be playing their cards terribly close to their chest at the moment. They're all like, no, it's a free-for-all. We're all figuring it out here. Here's all this documentation that I've got, or here's this solution to this problem that I found. Like, yeah, everyone is... um, uh, kind of playing on the same team for the for the time being yeah because I, I guess it's it's in everyone's like best interest like mm. so i think because flinders had that kind of setup where they were like um it's so new to us like if you can figure anything out you know come in for a day sort of thing and mm, mm, you know mm. we'll work off of that like it's so exciting like you know it's literally the first it happening in what australia there are other studios going up um, uh, as, and I think it's going to become quite commonplace. I think give it a, give it another two years and there's going to be a couple of LED studios in each city. Um, yeah. But uh, it's definitely a little bit of the wild West right now. And was, everyone trying to, was there any other like full virtual production uh, shorts or films done? I am not sure in terms of actually a narrative piece we may be the first in the country. We I may would, be the first in the country. That. I know Iron Mother did play a lot with some stuff. Oh, they did loads of bits and pieces. Yeah. They certainly rendered big chunks in Unreal, although they weren't using the LED wall technology yeah. at the time. So um, there's definitely other studios around the place. Um, and I've definitely seen tech demos from Sydney and from Melbourne, but I don't think I've seen a completed short film yet. I, mm. Yeah, I did see there was, a, I think there was an LED studio maybe in Sydney. But I mean, mm. you, you guys are one of the first in Australia to have actually made something with this technology. Do you see those issues that you mentioned about, you know, having to focus on the actor in the foreground and that sort of stuff? Do you see a lot of those issues sort of being solved in the in the near future? And And like you mentioned, it's going to become like, do you think it's going to become commonplace as well? As, as opposed to green screens? I think I think those tech hurdles aren't going away um, immediately, um, but like that's kind of okay um, in that uh, it, it is, once again, it's another, you know, um, uh, string to your bow or another, you know, uh, another tool to be used uh, for the appropriate times. Like there's just like LED wall technology is improving all the time, but the cost to get the really, really high fidelity ones is in prohibitively high unless you're Disney or Weta. Um, and even then with the top of the line technology, they still can't do the full like camera throws to the, the yeah. screens yet. So, you know, the technology will get there eventually. I still think that's some years off. And I think people are just going to work within the current constraints because already it's enabling people to an extreme degree. Um, so, yeah. And I think, uh, I think once we see a handful of bigger productions also that, that probably aren't ILM and Star Wars do it, then there will be a bit of, I think, confidence in the rest mm. of sort of filmmaking I guess community to get behind it um, because they'll be like, well, they did it. Um, and I, I think that's definitely going to come with time. And I think due to COVID, a lot of people now are getting back into production and access to exterior locations and maybe moving around the world is, is not as uh, easy as it once was. And so people are looking for um, options around it. And it's, it's funny. I think 
in a way we will somewhat go back to the old school filmmaking sort of projected Western diorama sort of look. Um, and, uh, but from a producing perspective, like if you turn a location, a two week location shoot into a one week location shoot, one week soundstage shoot, you've saved yourself a whole heap of budget. There's, there's just no other way to cut it. Um, and I think as soon as that becomes really well known um, and, and there's a confidence with the technology and the, I, I think the workflow, um, I, I think we'll see it very commonplace. I don't, I don't think it's going to take a hundred percent over. Um, I think it'll just be a small piece that's used when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are yeah. catching on real quick. Like we will see a big flood of, uh, smaller scale productions rolling out quite soon. I've seen quite a few music videos produced with that tech. Um, and people are just going to get more and more creative with how those sort of visuals integrate with the live action. And so, yeah, like I think we're really just at the beginning and we're going to see a lot more, even in the next few months. Like I've already, uh, I can think of sort of, I think three other short films that have now gone and shot up on that Flinder stage and they're all going to be releasing in the next like month or two. So, yeah, um, it's uh, everyone is not far behind at all. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Tom, Jeremy, thank you so much. If there's one thing to, I guess, leave our audience with, if we made a thing, could make one more thing. What have you had that discussion? What would be? What What is your Moby Dick? What's that one thing left? Oh, oh no, writers. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no writers movie. But, <laughs> that's a joke, but it's also like, there's there's a there's an element of truth to that. <laughs> Um, what, do you, what do you think, Jeremy? What's yours? Like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'm trying, I'd be intrigued how, how, to see if this how, lines up. How pie in the sky are we talking? Are we talking like things that are actually feasible within the next couple of years, or like real, real unlimited far budget? Off, unlimited budget. <laughs> unlimited. You've 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 shown every producers, as in anyone who needs to fund it, what you can do, and you're like, look, this is it. This is what we go out on. If we don't, Australian film and game stops as we know it. <laughs> It's fucking <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Almost everything that I would have said about two years ago has now gone into production because of Netflix. There's like oh. the Lord of the Rings peak prequel series. There's yeah. Cowboy, Cowboy Bebop, Bebop. happening. Yeah. There's, yeah. Which was like my dream project. There's all these things that once upon a time I was like, they're never going to be able to make that. No, they're, they're doing it now. <laughs> um, honestly, I think it would, it's perfect in the medium that it's in, but if there was like a truly, truly impossible task, um, there's a comic book series called Saga, which would be amazing yeah. to try and produce. And I don't think you could ever do it as well as what the comic yeah, book Saga is awesome. I'd love to do Copperhead. Um, but it's, it's funny. Like I, I, there, there's a, a series of Star Wars books that me and Jeremy both love called Rogue <laughs> Squadron. Oh yeah, that's the that that's sort of the pinnacle. Like, yeah, I, I, I would I would absolutely say yes to that. Yeah, yeah. Rogue Squadron, absolutely. That's some real real blue skies thinking. Yeah, start pitching to Disney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah, I mean, you guys got the experience with the digital screen. There exactly, we're we're perfect fits for the job. Just give it to us. We'll do it. We'll do it right now. <laughs> All right, boys, thank you so much for, awesome. for thank you. coming in. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks a bunch, guys. Cheers.